Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, I want to welcome you this morning and uh, wish you a good morning as a church. I greet those who are here. It's great to be with you. Those who are watching online, we love having you joining us. And uh, my name's Tim Lundy. I get to serve as a pastor here at Venture and serve with this awesome team and a part of this church body. And we took a break last week. Chuck brought our Mother's Day message. Didn't he do a great job with that? It was great to have him in that part of it. But this week we are back in the seven practices. And if you're visiting or maybe you're brand new, we're in a series and it's not just a series, we're really defining for us as a church, what are the seven practices, what are the core things that we want to do as a church as followers of Jesus Christ? And uh, if, even if you've been here in the series, you're probably going, Tim, I can't remember the seven. How do I balance all that? We'll wrap it up next week. And, and as I told you at the beginning of this series, this isn't a one-time series. This isn't, oh man, we did seven practices. These will be core things. In fact, each of these practices, we want to come back and offer series and classes and, and parts on the website and the app and ways that we can come along as ministries so that as a follower of Jesus Christ, we would know what does that actually mean? What should it look like in my life? And this week we're looking at the seventh practice and I just wanna focus on this one this week because I, I think it may be the no, most neglected of the practices or maybe the one that we kinda of put into a category of once I get my act together, once I'm a better Christian, once I'm one of those followers who's really doing right, then I can think about this practice. And if we do that, I think we're missing out on one of the most fundamental ways that we live as followers of Jesus Christ. It's not that extra thing we do once we get it together. I think it's the primary thing we do on the journey and it always has been. If you look in your notes there, the, the practice that we've entitled it is share the way. Share the way. And so what do we mean when we say that? Share how Jesus is the way. As a follower of Christ, I, I'm, I'm responsible, I'm called, I've been commanded to share with everyone around how Jesus is the way, that Jesus is who he said he is in John 14, six, when he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Now we purposefully entitled this share the way because a lot of times when we talk about this subject or maybe you heard the word evangelism, we kind of go immediately on evangelism of a specific truth that I need to share or specific presentation. For those of us in college, maybe if you were trained evangelistically, if you came up through Campus Crusade, you know, you, you had the four spiritual laws or, or those of us who were trained in the bridge or that, we kind of click our brains to that. I want you to think broader in that way because I think Jesus presents broader. He, he says, I am the way, the way to God, but the way of God. I show people what God looks like. I, I show what life in God looks like. I am the truth. So fundamentally, there is a truth that you have to come to and that we want to call people to. And then he says, I am the life. And it's not just a path to eternal life. It's actually life now in his kingdom that will lead to life then 
that last eternally. But it's all encompassing in that. And, and as I pointed out at the beginning of this series, the early church, if you look through the book of Acts, the, the term they were called the most is they're followers of the way. You'll see that over and over in Acts again. Paul describes it in that. Because they had this all-encompassing part of life of Jesus has so fundamentally changed how we do all of life. We're followers of this way and we want to share that way. Now, as I, I say that, it's more than just modeling though. As we say, it's sharing the good news of what Christ alone has, has accomplished for all people. It's what we just celebrated in song if you're part of the room here. That Christ alone brought this good news. The word good news is the same word as gospel. So when we talk about the gospel, share the gospel, there's a fundamental part of it that we want everyone to experience. If you're gonna follow the way of Jesus, it starts with that core gospel message. It starts by letting people know that Christ alone accomplished what we couldn't for ourselves. We were separated from God because of sin. Christ came as both God and man who lived a perfect life. He died on a cross. He paid for our sins on the cross. What can wash away our sins? We just sang it in here. Only the blood of Jesus. He's the only sacrifice that can do that. That good news that he rose again. That good news that through faith in him, not through works of my own, not through what I accomplished, not through keeping enough religion, not through doing it the right way, only through faith in Jesus can I actually experience this relationship with God and the way of God in my life. It's sharing that good news and gospel message. If you're a part of Venture, we spent about a year going through the book of Romans and the core of Romans is just that gospel message. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That word gospel is the same word as good news. He says, I, I never pull back from sharing this good news. I never find myself in a context where I'm like, oh, this doesn't really apply to them or they don't need this or I shouldn't say that. He says, I, I just share this good news everywhere. You know why? Because it's the actual power of God for salvation. It's actually how people change. It's how their lives are transformed. In fact, I've seen it to everyone who believes. Jewish people, and also the Greek, the Gentile world. He said, I've yet to come to a people group that I go, oh, this doesn't really apply to them. This won't work for them. He goes, this is why I share this gospel. This is why I share this message. It's the only thing that changes lives. I can't say that stronger or more clearly in a way that I think in our brains, we, we know it, but do we believe it in a way that we would go, well, yeah, of course, everyone needs to experience this. Everybody needs to know this. And so, so no matter what the responsiveness out there, because remember when Paul wrote this, he, did, he, he wasn't walking around and everybody loved hearing the message. I mean, he found himself in prison. He found himself beaten at times. There were riots, a little riot broke out because he was sharing this in a city. So he doesn't say this like, oh man, I love sharing it because man, people love hearing it. No, it's not based on their response. It's based on the power of the message itself. 
fact, there's, there's a part of him that's almost like, I, I can't control how they respond. But I don't pull back from sharing it because it's just too important. And so, and so as followers of Jesus, it's fundamental to us that we share the way. And, and as we, we think about that, as I said, I think this may be the most neglected of the practices, not because I don't think people want to or we, we don't value the importance of it. I think it's just getting hard. We stumble on things. That's why I want us to just take some time this morning. We're going to look at why we share. Why do we share the way? Why would I say this is a fundamental practice, not an add-on? And then we'll talk just honestly, why is it hard to share? Why do we struggle with this? Let's look at the first one, why we share. First reason we share, because we're God's plan for sharing his message to the world. We're it. I mean, we are plan A. When Jesus left, look, look, here's his plan. And it's been the same plan. It's been in action since Jesus was here. He, he looked at his disciples. He said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So it's not just based on you guys. You don't have to be smart enough. You don't have to be sharp enough. I'm actually going to put God in you. So that should be a relief to all of us. I'm like, okay, good. This is an empowered plan. But then he says, and you will be my witnesses. You're the, you're the one that witness means you point, you point people to the way through your life, through your words. You're going to be my witnesses. It's going to start here in Jerusalem. They were in Jerusalem. Then it's going to go to Judea. That was the surrounding area of people like them. Then it's going to cross cultures into Samaria. And then it's going to go to the very ends of the earth. We're going to take it global. It's almost laughable when Jesus shares it. You think about it, there's this little band of followers and he looks at them and he's already talking about global expansion. We're gonna take this thing around the world. In fact, Joe Aldridge in his book, Lifestyle Evangelism, he's got this great fictional story that he writes when Jesus goes back to heaven and he's greeted by Gabriel. And Gabriel, the angel is so excited. He's like, Lord, you accomplished all that you set out to accomplish. And he said, yes, I did. You, you gave your life and died on the cross. Yes, I did. You paid for their sins. Yes, I did. You rose from the grave. Yes, I did. You have this message of love for the world, this plan to save the world. He goes, yes, I did. He says, so, so who all knows about it? He said, well, I've got a few followers there. They know about it. Okay, that's great. Now, what, what are you gonna do to, to get the message out? You're going to write it in the skies. You're going to do miracles every day. How about you just keep visiting the earth? You kind of just show up from time to time. You let people know all, all these things that you could do to get this plan out because it's too important. And, and Jesus said, no, I'm going to do it through them. And Gabriel looks at him and says, them? Have you, have you seen them? Have you seen how they respond to this? See, Jesus has had one plan for 2,000 years. There's plan A and there is no plan B. And we're it. And, and, and as laughable as it would have looked, if you, you saw them on that mountainside, there Jesus is with his followers and he's talking about, we're gonna take it to the ends of the earth. 2,000 years, is it very laughable? I mean, if you just stop for a minute, think of the impact of Jesus in the last 2,000 years because those followers took that message. 
I always liked that, that poem that uh, was written by James Allen. It was written in 1926. But he talks about, he says, one solitary life. He's talking about Jesus. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never went to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things usually associated with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through a mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property that he actually had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. And yet here we are 20 centuries that have come and gone and today, Jesus is the central figure of the human race. The leader of mankind's progress. He says, all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the governments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned put together have not affected the life of mankind on earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. Here we are 2,000 years later and a life that was that isolated and a message and a story that was that isolated has spread across this planet and dominated it. I think plan A worked. I think God knew what he was doing. And in all the ways that he could have shared the message, all the ways he could have gotten his message out, he wanted to do it through you and me. And generation after generation and person after person have handed this message down to where now it rests with us. And we're plan A. And, and every generation has to ask themselves, what am I doing with the responsibility that he's given me to share the message that goes all the way back that he strategically laid out? See, we are God's plan. And so a core part of this practice as a follower of Jesus Christ, I embrace, okay, I'm a key part of that. It's a key purpose of why I'm here. A second reason that we do it is we love people enough to care about their eternity. We love people enough to care about their eternity. We love those around us. And we actually believe God's message about life and death and eternal life and death. And when you think about eternity, is there anything better than eternal life? And I'm not just talking about living forever. That's how come we, we reduce it just to the quantity of life. I'm talking about eternal life. It's not just quantity. When you think about eternal life, think about the quantity that is going forever. Now add the same amount quality. So as far as it goes, that's how deep life will be. That's how good it will be. And to experience all that's good in life all the time, to experience love, to experience openness and acceptance, to experience freedom from all brokenness and shame and disease, to experience justice in its purity and goodness, to experience all that is God. See, all of those good things, love, joy, peace, 
patience, all the things we want, they emanate from God himself. That's how we know those things. And so when we get to experience life with him in those things, man, all of our relationships are better. All of our self-concept is better. All of life is qualitatively, eternally better. And we love people enough that we want them to experience that. And we love people enough that we don't want them to experience an eternity away from that. Guys, that's all hell is. Hell is separation from all the good things I was just talking about. When you are eternally and forever separated from love and from goodness and from light and from freedom, from shame, all, all, all the things that lay on you all the time. And as scripture describes it, I mean, the, the terms for it, we don't completely understand. Here's what I know. When you start separating from all of that, you separate yourself from God, it's torment. And, and so a core part of scripture is that we as the people of God love people enough that we go, you know, I care about their life here and I care about their eternity. And, and we're willing to share that message. The, the key about it, the message is so simple. I love how Paul puts it in Romans. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He doesn't overcomplicate it. He, he doesn't, doesn't put it in a way, man, you gotta do this, this, this. He goes, look, let's get it as simple as it can be. If you confess with your mouth, you actually believe Jesus is Lord. He's God, he is who he said he is. If you believe in your heart, he, he was raised from the dead. I'm gonna take that step of faith and believe that he accomplished that. You will be saved. You'll be taken out of that kingdom of death into that kingdom of life that only gets better as you get closer to his presence because then you're qualitatively experiencing that life. Paul says the message isn't hard, but here's a key thing. A couple of verses later, look what he says though. He's talking about everybody in the world. How will they call on him in whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in him they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? How beautiful are the, are the lives of people who are willing to take that message? Because they love people enough. They go, man, they got to know this. They got to hear this. And, and, and here's the reality. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, somebody loved you enough to share that message with you. In fact, why don't you take a moment? If you're a follower, would you just take a moment and remember who was it that shared the message with you? And, and for some of you, maybe, man, you can think of a series of people that God used in your life. For some of you, one person stands out. For some of you, you kind of go, I don't really remember. I grew up in a Christian home. Oh, thank God for mom and dad. Thank God for whoever it was. But, but, but sometimes it's just good to stop and go, you know, man, that person was plan A in my life. That They were the one that shared it with me. And I'm so thankful they loved me enough to share it. God so loved the world and he calls us to love the world in that. 
Third reason I would say is the way of Jesus makes the world a better place. It makes the world better here. It's shaped the planet. From that little group from 2,000 years ago, you look at the planet and you look at the impact on the planet since that time. When Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly, he's not just talking that you gotta wait till you die one day. He said, I actually want you to experience a better life now. And I would encourage you, if you've never looked at church history, if you've never looked at how the impact of it, I would encourage you either look through church history, look at a map, look at the spread of Christianity around the world and look what it did for the peoples in those places where Christianity took root. And you will see an abundance of life there. You will see a change in the way that people are treated. You will see fundamental laws that were different because people were treated like they were actually created in the image of God. And so they had human rights like never before. You will see the treatment of women and children exponentially change where Christianity took root the rights and the protection of women and children that we experience on the planet today. I encourage you, take a map and trace it where Christian influence impacted it. It went up every time because of the Christian influence. You will see the rise of hospitals and charities. You will see the impact in fundamental treatment of life because Jesus came and he came that we could have life abundantly. And so of course we want to share it. I want to share it because when Jesus changes lives, it changes a home. It changes the way you parent. It changes the way you treat each other. It just changes the way you get up and you go to work and the purpose that you have. Of the, of the people and the friends around us that are, that are dying for some kind of meaning of life. And we've experienced it in him. So of course we want to share that. As we look at it, we, we're his plan and we love people enough and we want to impact the world through this. Now I say all those things and, and there's part of us, maybe your heart like me, it moves, it moves. And then you move toward actually thinking about, okay, I got to go share with someone. And then it's like, Irk! okay, this was good. I really hope Venture does this because it's hard for me to think. It's hard. It's hard to think about it. And, and, and we all kind of have in our mind, you know, how bad it could go. I, I remember one time, I'll give you a bad scenario of sharing the way. I was in college. I was with a group. We were on a, a mission week in New York. And so there was hundreds of college students that were there and we were sent out all over the city and we would interact in different locations. And you started, you were trying to have spiritual conversations with people and you started with this survey. You had this kind of general survey about belief and then people kind of responded and engaged. Then you would move to that to a more spiritual conversation. The problem was this was the end of the week. We'd been going out to different sites and our team that day was sent out to Central Park. And in this one section of Central Park, apparently they'd been sending a team every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And so, you know, Friday I'm walking and I, I, there's a guy eating his lunch in Central Park and he's eating and I walk up and I go, hey, excuse me, sir, uh, would you be interested in taking a survey? Now he had been asked this five days in a row. <laughs> and I was the straw that broke the camel's back for this gentleman. Because he stood up at that point and he starts screaming at the top of his lungs. 
No, I don't want to take your bleeping survey. In fact, I'm tired of your bleeping survey. I'm tired of your bleeping Christians. And then he starts screaming to everyone in the park, do not talk to this man. <laughs> this man is trying to proselytize and blah, 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 blah. You know, I mean, it screams like several minutes and we're just standing there and everyone in the park staring at me in that section. And then he sits back down. And I was like, you know, I'm gonna go have a hot dog because I am done for today. <laughs> you know, it's like going to feed the pigeons in the park. I'm gonna do something else but share that. And it was, you know, I mean, you feel your, your blood rise and the embarrassment of the moment. Guess what? It didn't kill me. In fact, you know what? Pretty quickly, everybody else started going on with life. I actually had another guy come over and he goes, well, I'm curious now about this survey. <laughs> and we had a great conversation. Now, I still remember that moment. I mean, I, it's even telling the story, I remember just standing there feeling so ashamed. And then I remember the moment that it kind of hit. I don't care. This is too important. And God's got this. I know it's hard. Let me give you some of the reasons we struggle with it. One, there's a growing distance between the church and the culture itself. We, we recognize this. If you look at it, here's what I mean. Here, here's the, the, the church, and then think of the blue as the culture at large. These are all the people at large. In the past, the distance between church and culture was not very far. Um, it, it was, we, we lived in a Christianized nation and Abraham Kupier, who, uh, he was at one time, the prime minister of the Netherlands, famous theologian lived over a hundred years ago. And yet he, he had great analysis because he, he watched this happen in Europe. He said, Europe was very Christianized. And so even though people may not be a part of the church and Christian, they thought the same way. They had the same values. They had the same morals. They had the same sexual ethics. They were kind of a nominal Christianity and he didn't write that in a bad way. He said, because of that, it was actually pretty easy when someone came into the church, they were already at a starting place where there were so many shared values with it. But then as Coupier noted in Europe, the culture moved away from the church. The values moved away from the church. This gap, this distance between them. And, and he charted it across Europe. And Coupier in, in his writings, he, he said kind of three things that he saw that were rise. All good things, but all that actually contributed to the gap. And, and one was the, the rise in science and technology was good, but it became this salvation for people. We, we, we'll get all of our answers out of it instead of church. The other part of it, he said, the rise of capitalism. Again, he wasn't against it. He just said it, it created a wealth system that people didn't need as much. The third, he said, if you, you look at the arts and the media and technology, all of that together, it presents Christianity very much in a stuck way. Remember, he's writing this at the end of the 1800s, early 1900s, very prescient in, in what he saw with it. Now, in the United States, it's fascinating. We didn't follow the same course. In fact, after World War II, there was actually a, a strong rise in Christianity. 
And, and people studied it and they go, man, what happened? In the last 30 years though, we've seen this gap spread more and more and more. And you feel it, especially if you live in a coast. If you live in the Northeast, you live in California in that, that, that here we are in the value systems and the belief of the church. And, and then you look, culture feels like it's moving pretty quick all the time. And, and I think a message like this, so you come to church and the pastor looks at you and goes, you need to be sharing the way. And you go, yes, I need to be sharing the way. And then you go, but it feels so far from what we're doing here on Sunday morning to what I got to do tomorrow morning when I go to work. And if I even say the name of Jesus, man, I could get fired for it. Or I've got neighbors that come from belief system and all, all these parts and, and, and we can get intimidated or we see that or, or we feel ill-equipped to do that. And we kind of just shut down and go, Let, let's just hold on to what we have. And maybe somebody, they'll get from out here to here somehow. The, the problem is we've been commissioned to move into this space. We've been commissioned to move and reach them. Churches are kind of attacking it two different ways. There's some churches that go, okay, if we're ever going to reach the culture, we need to look and believe just like them. And you know them, they look up pretty quickly and they've embraced all the systems out there and they disappear because there's no distinctive. Others are working really hard, man, we got to do everything we can. We got to get the culture back closer to the church again. We, we, got, we got to squeeze this in. And, and some are working in those ways or they're working to hold the lines. I'm so thankful for those who work in ways that impact that. But when I look at the church of what we've got to do right now, and by the way, this image of what we do and this space between where we are and culture and that movement, we're thinking about this, we're praying about this. This is fundamental to the vision of venture because we've not given up on actually reaching all people for Christ. You, you know, the model that we probably should study the most is the early church. Because when they started, the gap between them and everybody else, it was even bigger than this. There was no Christianized nation. There was no group. Every country they went into, everything that they faced. And, and so as we think about it, and, and here's what you need to know as a church and, and what we've talked about, and we're gonna be talking about this this fall as we move into this. How do we, as a church, move into this space so that maybe it's hard to get someone way out here all the way in. And I've heard that from some of you. You, you go, man, and even inviting someone to church is hard. Some of them, that's, that's just a bridge too far. So we as a church, we as leaders, we're looking at it and go, okay, how do we build bridges? How do we move into that space? How, how do we reach people where they are so that maybe that's a little too far but we can fill that space with it. We've been doing some different things. Some of you have asked, well, why do we do festivals? Why do we do Winter Wonderland? Why do we do an egg hunt? Because it starts to fill the white space. It's, it's a little bit closer. It's way out here. Somebody's taking a first step closer in a relationship. Now the key though is it can't just be activities, can't just be fun things. It's how do we strategically empower you to move into that space, whether it's through a block party or whether it's at your dinner table or whether it's knowing how to have a conversation in it. While we at the same part are building and creating 
here at Venture an extension of who we are so that it's that much easier as you're walking people through that journey. And so as you, you hear that, I'm sure there's part of you going, okay, I have questions about how you're doing that. I can't wait to share. All I'm doing now is teasing you with it. But here's what I want you to know. As a church, as a church, we're praying about this all the time. Because we don't think the mandate that Christ gave to his church to be witnesses to all the world has ended. Especially, especially when we get to live in a place where the ends of the earth have come to us. Boy, if you get to live in a special place like that, shouldn't you be the people that are that much more strategic? That are thinking and praying and moving because God's given us the gift of the ends of the earth at our doorstep in the cubicle next to us and the house next to us on your kid's baseball team. See, he's given us that opportunity, but we have to take advantage of it. Now, as I say that as well, it's also hard, but a lot of people say this to me. They go, Tim, I don't feel equipped with the right words or answers. I don't feel equipped. I, I, don't, I wouldn't know what to say. I'm, I'm worried I'm gonna try to talk to my neighbor and they're, they're from a different country. I don't, I don't know their belief system or, or you know, they've looked up something on the internet and they stump me every time. They're gonna have something that I can't do this. I, I love how Peter puts it. He says, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So he says, all of us need to prepare. You, you do need to know what you would say. And that's part of what we're looking at as a church. We're going, man, how are we equipping you guys? Are we teaching you how to have spiritual conversations? Are we teaching you how to answer? Notice the core of the answer though. The, what you're answering people is, they wanna go, man, why are you hopeful when the world's so bad? Why do you have a good attitude? Now, why do you stay so committed to your family, your marriage? Why do, why do you not take advantage of clients like everybody else does? Why do you live that way? And, and Peter goes, man, we're ready to, to tell them the reason we have this hope. We're ready to tell them how Jesus has shaped our life and changed our life. And I love how he puts it, and it's always done with gentleness and respect. Some of you right now, you're a little worried because as soon as we talk about evangelism, oh man, you're just going to go ram something down people's throats. No, you don't. It's, it's not effective for one. And two, it's going to shut down the conversation. The goal of it all is trust relationships with people. And so Peter says, yeah, you do it with gentleness and respect. Because remember, God's the one in control. We're just the messengers in that. Third reason we often is evangelism can feel offensive to many people, even in the church. And this is a new thing that's gone. In the last 30 years, it's amazing how the attitudes about evangelism, sharing this good news has changed in the church. If you go back 30 years ago, about nine out of 10 people would have said, yeah, it's, it's everyone's individual responsibility to share the good news. That number is now down to about 60 something percent. About a third of the church would, and, and we're talking about Churches like ours, we're not talking about, oh man, an evangelical Bible-believing church, about a third of the people go, no, that's not our responsibility. In fact, about a 25% say we shouldn't do it at all, it's offensive. 
These are in Bible churches, guys. And, and that number keeps growing. And part of it is the sense that, man, if I'm trying to share my message in that it, at the expense of them, isn't that, that's gonna be offensive to them? Who are we to do it? In fact, I would say probably a core part of the message, most people don't have a problem if you say Jesus is a way. In fact, most people out there, if you go Jesus is a way, they go, oh yeah, that's our, yeah, yeah, it's good for you, glad. The problem is when you change the A to a V. When you go from he is a way to he is the way. And, and in our culture today, just that exclusivity to say that there is only one way, to say that, that his truth is the truth, that life is in him. And, and even as I say that today, we, we've moved as a culture so far away from that. Remember when we talked about that culture moving out there? That's one of the key things in the culture that if you use language like I just used here, culture at large looks at it and says, man, that is offensive, that is unloving. How can you do that? And, and let's be honest, we feel that and we don't wanna be presented in that way. And so when you go, man, when you say Jesus is the way, how can you say that? Well, let me remind you, I wasn't the originator. It goes back to him. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And in case you kind of want to just generalize it and go, okay, he's just talking about categories. He goes, no, I don't want you to miss the point here. No one comes to the father except through me. I am the only way. I am the source of truth. I am the life. Now, e even as we read it, it's funny to me, a verse that, man, I could have read that 20 years ago. And most people don't blink in it. You read it now more in culture and people kind of, you feel that. You go, man, how can someone say that? Guys, I would say this is the most arrogant statement in the world if it's not true. But if it is true, if he really is that, this is the most loving thing he could possibly say. If you know that you are the only way that these people can experience the life they were designed for, wouldn't it be unloving to not say it for fear of how people might take it? See, Jesus loved enough that he goes, I, I, I know people won't like to hear this, but they need to hear this. And I love them too much to not say it. And the same is true for us. See, we, we share it as well. The reason it's really hard, it takes time and energy to build relationships. It takes time and energy to build a relationship where somebody trusts you enough that you can have these kind of conversations. I think we want a program, we want it to happen in a church, we want it to happen in a service. And it was effectively, when the culture was real close to us, when those circles were close, man, it was easy because I could bring people to church and they want to hear the pastor and people were starting in a system where they were very close. When the culture's this far away, I hate to break it to you, a lot of them will never step into a church. A lot of them, they look at it and they go, why would I want to listen to a pastor? 
It's not authoritative in their life. And, and so it's moved into a place where it's back to you and me. It's back to us sharing. And the reality is it, it does take time. It takes energy. It, it takes a heart like Jesus' heart. I always look at Matthew. He went to all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. His heart was moved for them, for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He looked at him and he goes, this is not how life was supposed to be for them. They need a shepherd. And then look what he says. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. There's a lot of people out there ready to receive this message, but the laborers are few. There's not enough people that'll take the message. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest. I mean, think about everything Jesus could ask us to pray for, everything that he would want to happen. But what does he ask his followers and his disciples to pray for? What does he call us to? He says, hey, if you're going to pray about something, would you pray that God would mobilize enough people to go out and actually share the message with people who are ready for it? He's done the work to make them ready for it. But he says, you guys pray that it actually would happen. So how do we put this practice in practice? Let's finish out with it. Just how do we, we, we become people with this? First one I'd say is pray. Pray, follow Jesus' command. And I want you to pray that God would raise your evangelistic temperature one degree. Uh, Kevin Harney, he pastors down in Monterey, great organization, organic evangelism. And, and he has this, he just asks everyone, and I'd ask you to do this right now. Just right now, rate yourself from one to 10, how strong is kind of your evangelistic temperature? And one would be whew, pretty low. I don't think about it, don't do it, not really motivated. 10 would be, man, I am out there, baby. Now, wherever you are on that scale, and if you're a one today, great, be honest, I'm a one. Here's what I want you to pray. Would you pray that God would just take you up one degree? Just, just from a one to a two then maybe you're starting to think about it more. Or maybe you're down here at a four and you'd go into a five. You go, yeah, I, I have a heart for this. I, I think I could do this. Or maybe, man, maybe you're an eight. You are out there, but you go, God, man, take me further. Start praying for you more than anybody else. That I'd be one of those people that go out into the harvest. That God would raise me one degree. And then list and pray for five people. And this can go anywhere three to seven. I just kind of put five. Five's a general number. That you know who need the good news. Guys, if you would do nothing more than this point, you'd be amazed how your heart will start moving toward it. If you'll start praying every day for a list of people and start praying, God, would you, would you share that with them? Would you open their eyes to it? Would you do what only you can do and start praying? Second thing, I just ask you, prepare. God, kind of think through your story of how you became a follower of Jesus. If somebody walked up to you and go, man, why do you follow Jesus? What would you say to them? And, and do you know like a simple gospel presentation? Would you know even where to turn to in the Bible? And if you don't, if right now, if I said, hey, Turn to the person next to you and show them a few verses of how they could become a follower of Jesus. If the thought of doing that panics you, 
That's my fault. Because we haven't equipped you. So, so part of what we're doing here is owning what we need to do as a church. That if you're out there going, man, yeah, I don't even know how I would start with that. I am sorry. And we will redress that. We will train and we will equip so that you can feel as confident with the message as any follower of Christ. And then the final part is when you get the opportunity to present two ways. One, show the way by inviting them into your life. Start by inviting in your life. Start with your life instead of your words. Have a cup of coffee. Have them over for dinner. Go to lunch. Take them to a game. Listen before you start talking. Invite them into your life. Because remember, no one is ever going to trust you if they don't know you. And then as you do that, when God gives you that opportunity, speak up. Go ahead and share. Take Jesus at his word. Jesus looked at his disciples. He said, you know, this harvest is a lot wider than you guys think it is. But I would pray that you would be mobilized so that you get to experience what only Christ can do through you as you share the way. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that someone, if we're here today and we know Jesus, someone loved us enough to share this message. Lord, I, I pray as your church that as we see a culture moving further away, that would not intimidate us. That we'd recognize even 2,000 years ago, you've always mobilized your church to move into the new space. You've always called your people to take a message. Lord, I pray that across this room and those listening online, would you lay on our hearts the people you've placed in our sphere that we wanna see come to know you. Lord, I pray for anyone who's listening to this, that if they have not taken that step from death to life, they would trust you and take it today and recognize that Christ has washed away our sins. And we pray this in his name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.